Okay, we are here again at the back bar. Um, you're hosting Trifecta in place as always. We've got myself, Johnny Red, we've got Minnie, and we have Skywalker. Fellas, what is happening? Evening. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. How are you guys? Good. I am good, I'm good. I got my, my first COVID jab this week. Oh, that was quite exciting. Feel? How are you feeling? Uh, it was interesting. It was interesting. It was, the place was like so like it was surreal. Just seeing everyone lined up to get their their jabs, but um, I was feeling good about myself for about 0.2 milliseconds when the nurse went to give it. She sort of lifted up my sleeve and then she's like, "Well, have you been at the the gym this morning?" I was like, "Actually, I haven't." It's just and then and then I realised I was just sweating profusely because I was so fucking nervous. <laughs> or are you walking That's... out? She says it to the next guy behind you, but like, yeah. bitch, God damn it! <laughs> you scared the needles? Oh, mate. Hate needles, really? Proper, uh, yeah, they, they, they don't even hurt. I just hate them. They don't even hurt. They don't hurt. Only a little bit. But generally, like, I don't know what the because I don't know whether I was just more nervous than I've ever been for one when I was getting that. It was literally just hold out my arm, look the other way, be like, just make it painless. I thought by this point you'd be quite used to getting a wee prick in you. <laughs> I've not seen you in so long. <laughs> Sound effects, you're ding, 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 ding. <laughs> well, I'm feeling a wee bit emotional because I just watched um, up to the last nine minutes of the, the Friends reunion. Oh, right. right. Yeah. Wasn't he too happy because I seen that fucking prick James Corden on it? And I was like, fuck, you got to do with Friends. But it's actually quite emotional. Like they're not all like pure old now and stuff like that. Joey is Joey's no, they they haven't aged. They've been in a fucking cryo chamber for the last twenty years. What do you think? The Joey's the best though, man. He's coming out. Joey's got a proper (laughs) proper barrel on him now, man. Like great, does not give. Does not give a fuck. But he's still the funniest on it. He's still bright. So when he looks like they just dragged him out of rehab and everything. (laughs) (laughs) He's sitting there like, oh my god. (laughs) I was a. He did, he did spend some time in rehab, didn't he? I think so. Yeah, I think he was. Sure he I think he was though. going through it during the show as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like it was really good. It was quite emotional seeing them all again, and because I see so many people on like, Twitter and all that, and they're saying, "Oh yeah, Friends was shit. It wasn't even that funny." I'm like, "You're talking rubbish." It was Friends funny. was class. Like, when, when you look back at it, it's such a white person program, though. Like it's just yeah, like good right. white fun. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, part of, I'm part of Black Lives Matter, you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, South Africa. Fun. Let's not let's not go down that path. Eh? This is taken. Uh, anyway, anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's been. Yeah, much... friends is magic. <coughs> so what was it? Was it just like a chat show? So it's that like James Corden, and they all sit in front of that big fountain. <laughs> See the big fountain that they all at the, the start. The one they, they dive credits, into. And the credits, I so they just sit in the seats in front of it, but then it goes backstage, and they're walking through the set, and then they're talking about episodes, and they've got guests on like uh, Gunther. He comes oh, on, yeah. and then. Like that, but he's he's looking as though he's been riding the fucking Hollywood party train pretty hard. Oh, really? the last <laughs> <people>, man, <laughs> the, the guy looked fucking horrendous. <laughs> Not, I'm sure he's a great guy and he's old and that, but um, but it was quite good. And then like, aye, it was good. It was good. But then like, Lady Gaga turned up to do a bit. I'm like, what are you doing? So it's not actually a show. It's just like a kind of them all sitting there talking. Nah, it's just them talking about it and like looking back and all this stuff and oh, so talking I it was about be, it. Like and... actual like. Uh. A show. No, but it was it was, it was really good. I have still got nine minutes to watch though, but obviously I had to come on to see what, you. What channel so, was it on? Um, it was Sky One. All right. I was watching right. it on a I think called Catch Up. So oh technology. yeah, right. Okay. Technology. What's mate. this? Technology. I know you've got an Ethernet cable in that now, but this is a <laughs> mate. Big time. Big time. No more internet lags for this guy. Aye, we'll see about that. Um, see about that. So 
tonight, episode number one, two, three, four. Four. Episode number four. And we have got on. We have got um, Scotland Rugby Internationalist played in the first win at Twickenham in 38 years. Oh, right. Yeah. Part of the squad for the first win in France since. Is that about 28? Sorry, did I say 20 something years? We're talking about about no, 38. Scotland. Short term memory. I Scotland. Oi, oi! Excuse me. I'm sorry, he was in the France squad for the first win since, what, 96? Uh, is Scrum Half Scott Steele? Hey. The man after your own heart, man, dog, have you number nine? He's, he's, he's made a made a steal and plays uh, as <laughs> a scrum half. So yeah. So the only difference is he's made a steal. You've got you've got steel <laughs> and half half the joints in your body. No, just two joints actually. Oh no, three, three. Is it? Uh, One, two, yeah, three. Scott's maybe made a steel, whereas Minnie's just like held together by yeah, his steel, enhanced, <laughs> enhanced with. Yeah, yeah I can't really like talk about it much too far. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's, so you, you couldn't you can get Will Smith in? Is that what you're saying? Uh, he might be coming on episode five, unconfirmed. He's too busy doing his fitness yet. Yeah, he said he wanted to. He did, wanted to wait till he wasn't. He was in better shape to come on with the boys. Because he knows that he's coming on with three fucking Adonis's. Adonis's. Like... <laughs> Adonis's. Because <laughs> I take a drink of Terence. <laughs> I'm a unit, mate. <laughs> but stick your protein up your ass. <laughs> Sitting at home with a big half liter cans of Terence. Pink cans, mate. <laughs> Pink cans. Right. Love it. It's a Thursday Love night. It. Exactly, exactly. Why not? Weekend starts early at the back bar. Anyway, I guess without further ado, should we get Mr. Scott Steele on? Bring him, bring him out, Let's bring him it. out. Right. Okay, so uh, we're delighted to be joined here at the back bar by former Dumfries Saints, Leicester Tigers, London Irish, and current Harlequins and Scotland scrum half Scott Steele. Uh, thanks for joining us, Scott. How's it going? Not a problem, yeah. Very, very well at the minute. Um, just coming back from injury, so getting there. Okay. What have you done? I um, So back in November, uh, it was like the last week of the Scotland stuff, I sort of just got awkwardly ta- tackled and ended up uh, sort of like ripping through like a hernia basically in the front of my oh. hip. So um, it was quite manageable at the start and then it just got worse and worse as like the games like kept coming and training and stuff like that. So... I came back from the Six Nations, played a game for Quinns against Ulster, um, and then it was just got to the stage where like I couldn't really get like good enough to train on the Monday Tuesday. Right. So, uh, I had to get it fixed, so got that fixed and was back training um, like four weeks later, which was like pretty quick turnaround and the physios yeah. down at Quinns smashed it. They've been great. Um, and now it's basically just ticking off all the all the things like get my strength the same so I can go out there and play basically and make sure it's all good. But um, nice. all of them has been pretty good and pretty straightforward um, recovery time. Nice one. So I'll be you back in time for the, the Scotland Summer Tour stuff. Hopefully then. Yeah, hopefully I was I was hoping to be back fit this weekend uh, for Quinns, but like just with the way that I've been put back into training and stuff, I've not really been able to get through enough to sort of justify getting like up even being up for selection it's more right well right. we need a training week before we can we can think about it and, and the guys at Quinns are going pretty well at the minute as well so it's yeah, not like yeah. walk straight back into the team so uh hopefully next week will be my full week of training and then 
we'll wait and see what happens with selection. But hoping to play, obviously, the the, the run in for, for our games and hopefully we make a semi final, yeah. which is going to be really exciting. And yeah, yeah. They wanted to get back fit, so I could I could hopefully be in contention for that. And like you said, if, if I come back and play well, then hopefully put my hand up for uh, the Scotland stuff. In the yeah, yeah. Just when you, you, you mentioned before there, you're, uh, it was your debut Six Nations this year. And uh, obviously it's a pretty different Six Nations with bubbles, no fans and stuff, which the guys will probably touch on in some of their questions later. But the one thing that uh, I really picked up on, it was probably before the Italy game, you'd probably spent more time playing at wing or flanker than you had at scrum half. <laughs> yeah. It's like... It was, is that just a case of like all hands on deck or does, does that get kind of talked about in training before like if this happens right you're gonna cover that or is it just totally like spur of the moment right hey, I put you go in the um, flanker or it was 100% spur of the moment and that's why when they said you're going on the back row I was like what we're <laughs> 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 running on and Ali Price obviously went to give me the ball as if to say like oh we're swapping here and I was like, nah, mate, I'm on in the back row. And he was like, what? I was like, he, st he starts laughing. Put <laughs> <laughs> me in the back row. I was like, God knows, mate. And then, yeah. <laughs> um, and the wing stuff, I think, like, quite commonly, like, if you are if you have a few injuries in the back line and with, you've only got a few guys on the bench, um, your nine will end up being out of position, maybe on the wing and stuff. So I've done that before in the past. Um, and then I've actually played once in the back row for London Irish when there was a right. or whatever. Um, but that was just for scrums. It was like scrums and then do what you want sort of thing. Um, and there was only five minutes to go. So that, that game against Ireland was certainly eye eye out more of how, <laughs> what was through, how much up and down off the floor. And I was just doing my best to get out of the ball carrying position so I couldn't get smashed and turned over. So. Yeah. They've got, they've, got, they've got terrible back rows as well, so yeah. you were fine. <laughs> Plus, you, you kept a straight face, though, because obviously when you're coming on, the camera's coming on, and you must have been going, what the fuck am I doing here? But you came on, like, <laughs> focused. Like, <laughs> in shock to even process it and think, like, what's going on here? I was just like, right, you get chucked in. And like I said, I was just trying to hit as many rocks as I could, and by hit, I mean touch. When it <laughs> 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 But um, yeah, that that's something that I've obviously never had to deal with, and obviously doing it at that level as well um, was pretty nerve wracking. But um, the wing stuff, like you you get you get moved about in training sometimes if there's not enough guys and right. or if there's been a lot of injuries and stuff, you might have to fill in and run like the the non twenty three attack against like the starting team. Mm. And end up in the wing there. So when I made my debut on the wing against Wales. Um, it was obviously not not ideal being at wing, but I was a bit more comfortable there. It was more, it was just such a tight game. And yeah, yeah. All the history about how many years we hadn't won, like down in Wales and stuff. And I just processed that and think, if I miss one tackle, that. We only came my way once and I managed just to tackle, and that, that was it. But nah. Um, Job done. Beggars really can't be choosers when it comes to Scotland caps. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, thankfully, just got through that Ireland game on heart, which was nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, just again, it was a really good Six Nations. I think um, it was really good to see you get a few kind of 
historic results um, for a nice change and maybe a couple of decisions away for a title, to be honest. So what was the what was the camp and squad like? Obviously, as kind of Gamo mentioned about COVID and stuff like that, as a completely surreal experience. So what was it? Did you notice what was the experience like in the camp? What was the did it bring you closer together or did it did you just wind each other up a bit more because you're starting <laughs> each other's company? Um, probably the latter, to be honest. Like, <laughs> friends, like they're all like really good guys and good blokes and you spend that much time with people just sort of cooped in a little sort of uh, hotel or bubble environment whatever you want to call it um, definitely towards the end at the start it was all good guys enjoying it obviously excited for the games but but by the end when you're on your off days and you wake up in the morning and all you've really got to look forward to is your breakfast lunch and then your dinner and that's it like you know you can't really leave but you can't leave um, they were the tougher days when you're training and stuff. It's it's easy because you just go out there, do your training, and, and by the end of it, you're actually pretty tired. So you're looking forward to going to bed. It's the days when you you didn't have much to do. But I think the guys really bought into it and thought everyone's in the same boat here. Like we can either sort of moan about it and mm. complain, you know, we can just try and make the most of it, um, try and entertain each other as best we can. And I think the coaches were really good in terms of uh, it wasn't so intense like it was the first international camp I've been involved in but um, say if we, we played a game or whatever like they'd, they'd make sure that there was like beers available for the boys to have and it was it was very relaxed it wasn't so strict like obviously when we turned up to training that was right 100% here we go but everything else around it was pretty chill out, chilled out and I think that was that was really important because otherwise it, it would have been a bit too much you know the, the whole bubble situation and Guys, yeah, yeah. all right for myself, but like guys with families and kids and stuff, like constantly on the phone to the mitty who's saying how much of a nightmare the kids are, etc. So, <laughs> I was gonna say, I've got a two and three year old, I'd have taken a day, an off day in that bubble any day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice the odd time, but I think after a week or so, obviously the lads were feeling guilty, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, it would have been tough, and, and, and lads were saying that. and Especially, you know, Darcy Graham's situation with his brother after. Yeah, um, I was reading about that recently. That was mad. And that he he dealt with that unbelievably well, and and the boys got around him for stuff like that. So, um, stuff like that obviously puts into context, like really. Yeah, you know, big time. We're, mm -hmm. we're in here in a, in a bubble, whatever, but a lot of people aren't even able to do what they want to do, and mm -hmm. family and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I was buzzing for him and all the lads were when when his brother sort of started to, to get better and, and spoke to him on the phone and stuff, it, it was brilliant. But mm -hmm. I think everyone, like I said, did their part and bought into it and we made it as best as best of a bad situation as, as it pretty was pretty boring at times. And everyone just sort of thought, right, we can look at this two ways and we, we managed to make it as fun as it is. Oh, no, it, it, it's, it's amazing. I said Scott, Scotland played so well and they were just so unlucky in a few of the games but I said like for, for Italy I think was Italy was that your debut try for, that you scored yeah so, yeah, that was my first start and yeah. um, I think it was mine as well um, yeah that was that was a great day for me obviously and, and my family and stuff like that um, again Covid not ideal like they weren't able to, to come and watch yeah, it yeah. but um, no it was, it was still amazing and all the messages and stuff like that I got from, from people that have been close or of what's within the past and stuff like that and have really helped me sort of become a professional and, and supported me through a tough time during the lockdown it was it, was, it felt good to, to sort of make them proud and it was also a sort of thank you to them for, for how they stuck by me and 
um, yeah, it was it was just a real good day, and everyone everyone pitched up, they played well, and and everyone played with a smile on the face. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a great day. Oh, absolutely, yeah, well, that's you, class. You could you could definitely see a, a different feel around the Scotland team. You know, as they're watching it as as a spectator, you, you could just feel the guys were, were playing for each other, and it was just very the camaraderie. Uh, how do you say that word again? Camaraderie. Thank you very much. I, got, I stumbled <laughs> on that one last time. Uh, was all, was, was Maybe all just there. stopped trying to say it. I know that's it. And I put my other tongue back in. Uh, but yeah, you could just see that the, the boys were all playing for each other, and it, it, it was a good squad and a good Six Nations. I think like you're you're 100 right. Like me, I was I was coming in that squad, and as soon as I came in, I was obviously nervous and stuff. But um, everyone made you feel welcome. It was a great opportunity to get to know guys that you probably wouldn't sit down and chat to because you were with each other so much. So that's definitely going to help with your, your team bonding and stuff like that. But then. Even like in the autumn when we, we beat Wales and stuff and you play in these games and it goes well, like automatically that's going to bring you closer together. Um, and then obviously at the start of the Six Nations when we beat England and stuff, that was like a massive day for everyone involved. And that's only going to bring you closer together, like building that confidence in each other, knowing as a team that if we pitch up, we can, we can win the tournament sort of thing. And just like you said before, like a few decisions or a few moments in games and um, I think for the first time in, in a long time, we were looking at as sort of like fans and, and, and players as well. We were going, well, like a lot of times we might have played with a lot of heart and all this kind of stuff, but like clinically we weren't really good enough to sort of finish our chances, etc. But mm-hmm. really had a feeling this, this sort of in that campaign that like we, we could match all the teams on all the areas. Like I'm not saying it was going to be easy, but if we got, if we played the way we could, uh, we know we could, and we got it right, then there was no reasons why we couldn't not just like beat teams, but actually like completely uh, outplay them at times. And and that's the thing when we came away from a few results, obviously against uh, Wales and in Ireland, it was a disappointment in yeah. ourselves that we we sort of played within ourselves and we knew how much better we could be. So um, looking back now, obviously it was really tough at the time to take them defeats, but looking back now, it's we're in a better place where we think like, well, that was us that, you know, let us, like we, we were the ones, it was our fault that it didn't really work out in them games rather than go like, we've been completely blown off the park. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, uh. We, can, we can never compete with them, etc. So um, I think that's down to the, the boys and obviously a lot of the senior lads that are, are playing really at the top level and the guys that have brought in the Lions, they're, they're bringing that sort of standard into training, into into sort of games and having that knowledge, but then also the coaches really showing us how good we can be and, and building our confidence and, and really pushing us to, to that next level. Yeah, and I think so you've nailed it this year with the confidence thing because what I noticed was how pissed off everyone looked when you lost these games. And see before, and maybe it's like perception or whatever, but when the games were lost, it was a case of a lot of we've lost, but we've been outdone. But it was actually nice to see that kind of bit of fucking fire and passion. Like we've, th- this wasn't in our hands, uh-huh. and so it's a, quite a nice change in dynamic for for the team. But it bodes really well for for the future as well. I think I think it's a really good setup now. So, the end of the end of that Wales game was just unreal. Yeah, like the way that that the tap tackle on Van der Merwe right oh, at the yeah. end, yeah. and you just he was so close to getting the off offload to Hog, and you're like, if that had been a Scotland team. In previous years down a man with like 25 30 oh, minutes to man. play with they probably got absolutely host <clears throat> yeah like that's yeah. like you, like you say you probably always heads down like you be go again another game it's got away from us um 
got like the, the confidence in the group to be like, right, we haven't gone away here, but like let's just stick in here, tough it out, and we know that we can we can score from anywhere, which is the exciting thing when you've got the likes of you know Dewey and Finn and and Hoggy and stuff like that, and the outside backs that can literally score a try out of nothing. Um, and we've got one of the best playmakers playing at 10 in the world. Like, mm-hmm. no reason why we can't do that. Um, and you certainly saw that in the game, that like there was that belief right until the final the final minutes. So, um, but like you said, that that was one where we look at ourselves and go like, if we did a few things differently, then, then obviously we put ourselves in a better shape to win that game. But it's better that than saying, oh, well, we were miles off it. They were just blew us off the park. They were, they were a much better team. I don't think we felt that in any of the games, really, that the teams opposite us were miles better than us. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. There's uh, <clears throat> there's quite a few leaders in the team now as well. You know, I say like Finn Russell and everything, you know, he, he's he's matured and he's, he's leading the line. But then obviously uh, Stuart Hogg is the, the captain of the team. What's he like as, as a captain? I think he's really, really good. Um, I know Stuart from, from way back before and he was great for me and the other guys coming in and making us feel welcome in a new environment and I think he just gets that sort of communication between how the players are feeling and passing that to the coaches and the coaches um, were really good at sort of listening to him and understanding that and, and giving a bit of leeway about things and how, how the players wanted to do it or how they were feeling so um, I think he, he was really really good at that and he was also really good at just sort of like you said bringing that experience that sort of he's been playing in big games obviously for for Glasgow and then more recently Exeter and these big finals and stuff like that and for, to have guys like him sort of like bringing you in and just saying exactly what needs to be said at the right time um, it's it's perfect and obviously it, it worked out for us and um, but also like the coaches understanding that he's not just going to say stuff like oh boys are feeling a bit tired that they're not going to just say that it actually he understands that everyone's feeling that way and they're saying it for a reason not just because we fancy doing a light session the next day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And the coaches, and obviously he knows that coaching staff for a long time. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's a perfect fit for him for him to be captain. And definitely in my, my experience under him, I, th- I thought he did really, really well. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, going back, so again, we've kind of touched on the Scotland stuff, but doing our research, um, now it depends which one of us does some research because you can get some really weird stories dug up about you so <laughs> luckily this was me that found this so you're, you're safe I did google Scott Steele in a bath but couldn't find anything <laughs> there's, there's a backstory to that by the way just... <laughs> no there's not no there's not <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, you're not off the hook yet mate but, um, what I kind of discovered is you were in the books for Kelly uh, football as well and for Kelly youth so what was uh, how close were you to sticking with, with football what can I what made you make the decision to go with rugby? Um, yeah, so I was with them at like from like thirty or like twelve to sort of fifteen, um, and I loved football growing up. Like played at school, played at uh, Kilmarnock for a bit, and even after sort of it was more like the travel and stuff like that from mm-hmm. up there three times a week from Dumfries on a, a terrible road, um, oh. straight after school rushing back to get home so I could go up the road and. And it was, it was basically get there, trains, head back. There was no social side to it. I wasn't really getting to know the lads. And I really did enjoy it, though. I loved football and I felt like I was doing well and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, there was a bit of a surreal moment. So I decided that I didn't want to play there anymore. And I, I thought, 
right? I'll come back and I played for my local team, Dum uh, sorry, and Dumfries, uh, Cooney of the South, and played with them, sort of played with them and played rugby at Dumfries Saints for a couple of seasons. Um, but it was like a couple of months down the line after Cut had said that I didn't want to do the Kilmarnock stuff anymore. My dad was like, son, do you, do you want to be a professional footballer? And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. And he's like, why did you leave Kilmarnock? And I was like, <laughs> <"Geez."> I was like <laughs> but then, like, as it all comes out, it was all good. But um, I did love football, but it was just that sort of, social side to it, like all my mates at school, I was missing out on things like that they were, they were doing after school because I was being basically a commitment from like 12 to 15 year old, missing out quite a lot at school, like going away, my weekends were basically done, I was traveling all the time um, and I, I basically didn't, didn't really enjoy it up there, it wasn't a, a fun environment, it was very full on at an early age and I felt very much like a professional in terms of you're here to do a job, get it done, and if it if, if it's not good enough, that's it. And right. well. it felt like a lot of pressure, and it's a big commitment from my family and stuff to be taking me up up and down there. And if I'm not enjoying it, like what what's the point really? So um, that was definitely something that brought me back to rugby, being able to play with my mates that I went to school with, etc. And then obviously chill out with them after. And then obviously rugby sort of known for the social side to it as well, where like at your family clubs, everyone will hang around after your game and watch the first team and you'll be in the clubhouse after and stuff like that. And my mum and dad were big sort of members of the, of the Dumfries Rugby Club and they would help out. So they'd be there with their mates and then me and my, my two brothers, older brothers, would, would all be at the same place with our mates and it was just like such a good family club and yeah. um, that was something that I felt was so far apart from what I was doing up at Kilmarnock and it just made sense at the time and obviously looking back now, I'm obviously delighted with the, the decision that I did make. Because Dumfries have got a good setup for the social side. We actually mm -hmm. met a couple of the Dumfries boys when we were over on holiday in Bulgaria. Oh. Tommy Hiddleston and Johnny Sloan. Yeah. We met a couple of those boys. So uh, it's always been Jamie Little was the other one. Jamie Little, aye. So uh, there's a good good bunch of boys down there. But um Hiddleston, they're, they're actually my cousins. Oh really? <laughs> there you go. They're actually my cousins. So they're like farmers from from down that way and they they've played for years. Um, and then yeah so like that sort of thing as well like it was pretty cool I got to see like both my brothers playing the same team and then cousins that I like uh, Ewan Miller and Finlay Miller that were like used to live on the same street as us were playing in the team and the Hillstons all playing in the team and I'm looking at that watching going like, I want to be a part of that one day sort of thing and that was another thing that like drove me back to that just playing with your mates at club mm -hmm. you know, they all love, like you said, they love each other's company, they love getting on the beers and stuff like that after games. And um, that's something that, about rugby that even now playing professionally, that's something that, that's a big part of the game and something yeah, yeah. That really value. I think the social side is where the three of us really excelled, in fairness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. We, we over-excelled, I think, <laughs> in some cases. Uh, but, the social side just forgot about the rugby side. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I know. Um, I think it's, it's the professional part of it where you were talking earlier about when you get injured that you would actually do rehab, whereas we just ate pizza. So, <laughs> yeah, that, like, that was that, carbs I, are not good for rehab. That <laughs> was it. It's like another, another shoulder surgery. It's like, that means I've got a, a good four month run at the shed with no games. This is <laughs> so, it's the only running that you do. 
dead performance. <laughs> so you tell me I can go out on Friday night and not have to play hungover on Saturday? This is amazing. Yeah. And then convince all the guys that are playing to come out with me on the Friday night. So, <laughs> so yeah, nice. so that you can see where that, that kind of goes a slippery slope. Um, but you said... <laughs> You say you were obviously playing rugby in Dumfries, you went back to rugby, and then you got your move down to Leicester. Um, it's a kind of big jump, you know, I so said a lot of the guys go into the, the kind of Glasgow setup or the Edinburgh setup. How did you kind of, how did the Leicester thing come around? So I played Dumfries, and then for my last year at school, I went to Merkiston in Edinburgh for a rugby scholarship. So um, I went up there for a year in Edinburgh and loved it, um, and it was great, and I was involved with like the National Academy stuff what was at the time so all the sort of players that they thought were going to sort of go on and have potential you would like help your SNC and you'd sort of a coach that would look over like a development officer that would look over you and stuff like that so the plan for me in my head was about right I'll, I'll go up to Edinburgh play there I'll do my district like Glasgow and Edinburgh games against each other the sort of um, pathway stuff and, and the under 17s and 18s and hopefully pick up a contract of playing well there um, and I sat down with the guy, and he, like the guy that was like my coach, and he was just he brought me in for a meeting. And I thought, oh, this is it. This is like make or break. Basically, he's either gonna like offer me something at Glasgow or something at Edinburgh. And some guys were going straight into the sevens program, so yeah. I was like, any of them, right. options, um, like that'd be great. And then he just sat down. He's like, look, we just don't think that you've you've got it in you to sort of kick on to the next level or whatever. <laughs> what now? Uh, uh, so. That was yeah, that was a bit tough to take, and then it's just did you, did you phone him straight away afterwards and just be like, "Fuck you!" No, <laughs> no. <laughs> as much as I wanted to, maybe. <laughs> Guess where I'm going, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that quick. It wasn't like I had to waiting for me to. <laughs> that happened in a couple of months. So I actually joined Watsonians for like a preseason. I was just gonna play with them they were going to put me up in a flat and get a couple of hundred quid for for match fees and stuff and I would just sort of get a job in Edinburgh or maybe try and go to uni um so I did that for a bit and ended up playing like into the season played one it was the first yeah first league game played with them and then my friend that had played under 18s at uh Leicester who was like a an XL so he was an English guy that came through the XL setup that, that came and played for us uh, Scotland 18s and we'd beat England that year for the first time in years and they had quite a lot of Leicester guys playing so they watched the game um, and I came off the bench in that game and we played we played well as a team and I went quite well and we won and he just said there's a, there's a scum half that's he's had a couple of like he's dislocated his shoulder a few times now and it looks like he's, he's probably just going to knock it on the on the head so um yeah, so he just said, "Oh, you should you should get in touch." Like they've they've asked me if there's any nines, and I've recommended you. So I literally just sat down. He gave me an email address. Just sat down with my parents, being like, "What should I say here?" Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> a ju- Twenty-two Jump Street highlight reel. Like, <laughs> my mum says I'm really good at rugby. <laughs> <laughs> Like stuff, and they were like, "You need to smell yourself more than that. You're being very." I like to read in my spare time. <laughs> Basically, I had no idea what to say, and I was just like, "Right." So we put an email together. And they were like, right, come down for two week trial. And I was like, "Okay." Went down, and it was like the toughest two weeks of my life. Like the, the academy down there is known for being pretty like hard graft and pretty old school and. Uh, he basically just get bullied and they find out who's got what it takes to make it. <laughs> nice. Um, 
I don't think they can do that this much these days, but it was very much like that, and it was a bit of an eye-opener. So I went down for two weeks, did well enough, and they just offered me a place in the academy after that. And um, I, I loved it. It was a good bunch of boys. And in that year, through like, the luckiest thing ever, so there was like four, scrum, four senior scrum halves, and then I was an academy scrum half. And Ben Youngs went away with England. Uh, the second choice nine... Uh, hurt his ankle and was out for like six weeks. Third choice uh, nine had got done for something and was banned for six weeks. And they, had, they had the fourth choice nine left and then me. So in my <laughs> first year of like playing at school and uh, basically playing one game of seniors at Watsonians, I ended up being on the bench in the premiership. When I was Jeez, man. So that's mad. Jeez. We ended up like that season, I was on the bench for like a semi-final. Yeah, semi-final and final of like the LV Cup and we won that and it was just mad like playing with some unbelievable players and that experience so young I was like this is this is like decent I loved it and like through training with them and coming off the bench and doing alright um, in a few games they offered me like a two year sort of senior deal and I was like this is perfect this is unreal so I signed that and then for the next two years like Ben Youngs would go away but every other scrum half was fit and I would just <laughs> I was like, right, this is probably a more realistic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My circumstances were very, very lucky in my first year, but uh, played like a, like four or five games over them two years in the LB Cup and like went on loan to Loughborough National One, um, which was great fun, but probably not the best for my rugby. I just was basically living the student lifestyle. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it was great fun and good bunch of lads there. But um, yeah, so that happened there. But it was just that ideal first year for me being like, this is unreal, this is class. And you look like I'm playing at Welford Road in front of 20, 27,000 people and it's packed. Yeah. And then going to the realisation of, well, actually that was extremely like, lucky circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get everybody bound again as well. Like uh, he was, he was placing bets. See <laughs> <laughs> what he did at the weekend. Sighting <laughs> commissioners getting anonymous tip offs. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> those Leicester scrum halves are fucking crazy. It's <laughs> some wee bag. It looked like talc. He <laughs> <laughs> was charging about the change room afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> No, they were saying Ben Young's yeah. a recreational drug problem. That's not what they were like, Quick disclaimer, we are not saying that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, obviously, with, with Leicester and stuff, so did that prompt the move to Irish then? Because you were looking for game time. Is that what kind of spurred you to move over? 100%. At that stage, I was like sort of fed up with it all. Um, it's all right training all the time and stuff like that if you know that there's a game coming at some stage, but with the size of their squad, they'd have about 50-odd players, and like they're all like senior players. It's not like like 50 plus their academy in with it. It was like 50 senior lads and then a massive academy as well. And just that continuous training, knowing that like my situation, like you, no matter how well you play in like the A-League games or anything like that on loan, like you're going to need an injury because they're just going to go, well, right, we'll go with the experienced guy because, you know, he's done X, Y, and Z. So a few guys... Uh, sort of the year before I'd left to go to London Irish um, Alex Lewington the, the winger at Saris and uh, Jimmy Stevens a guy that's a hooker that went on to play at Irish and then went back to Leicester for a bit 
um, they moved the year before and their head coach had basically said, oh, is there any guys? And they'd played loads. They ended up playing like 25, 30 games for Irish that year, but were in the same position as me, out on loan and just not getting a sniff at Leicester. So um, they, he basically just said to them guys, like, is there anyone else at Leicester in your position um, that were basically not getting a chance and are, are decent players? So he he mentioned a few of us and luckily they, they needed a scrum half. So um, yeah, signed with them and probably, yeah, signed as like a third choice nine and like watched really hard in, in pre-season and, and managed to start the first game of the season. And it was like the Twickenham doubleheader at uh, Twickenham and it was like 60 odd thousand people there. And, and wow, that would be class. Loughborough in front of it. <laughs> Three men and a dog. Oh. <laughs> and up, uh, got my mum and dad tickets. I'm trying to find them in the stands and be like, oh, <laughs> which way is the west? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that was mad and it was it was great. And I was absolutely wrecking it, but it went quite well. And I ended up playing <clears throat> five games that year, and it was it was great. We 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 stayed up and we finished like ninth or whatever for them at that time was like a pretty decent result. Um, and yeah, we, we had a real, real good season and, and I was loving it there and I just sort of any sort of um, doubts I had about moving in terms of oh, I'm going from a, a team that's competing in, in finals most years to a team that's down the bottom. As soon as I played two or three games, I was like 100% made the right move. Even even if mm. whatever happens, at least I'm playing, at least I'm going to get better doing that rather than just you know, holding a tackle bag for, for, for everyday training. Uh, especially if you're a young guy with ambition, you know, was, mm. as you said, there was no point in spending your days just training. Like, for what? What are you training for? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of guys that, that do end up doing that because I think, like, either they don't want to move away because of family or whatever, yeah. or they're just comfy where they are, or they have a dream for, for... It was different for me, but there was guys that were from Leicester and, and loved it and wanted to be at their club and... A few of them, to be fair, have, have stuck at it and they've ended up picking up a few games now and they've sort of like said they've not going that well, but personally they've ended up making making good strides and, and playing lots of games for them and at the top flight, basically. But for me, I had no no sort of plan just to sit around and, and just not play and sort of, it's all very good. Everyone's like, oh, that's great, you're at Leicester Tigers. And you're like, well, it's not that great, if I'm honest. <laughs> pennies and I don't get to play and it's just training for the sake of training like it's it's tough to do but as a youngster you, you have to do it but like you said it was a much better option to go well it might not work out but at least I've tried something and went for it um, and yeah. I'm stuck, stuck in the same place that I was a couple of years after going off only I'd moved if only I'd done that so yeah, yeah. Uh, I loved it I loved my time at London Irish even though we had up and down sort of like yo-yo seasons with the championship and stuff it was, it was it's a great club and I was really sad that I had to, had to leave in the end and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it was 100% the right decision. Mm, absolutely. Well, I said uh, one of the, the previous guests we actually had here was uh, was Topsy Ojo uh, and he was uh, spent his his, uh, his whole career at, uh, at Irish. And I think he kind of said that about the club. It, it was just a good place to be. It was a good place to play rugby, good family atmosphere, like at the ground and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, yeah, it, uh, did you get to spend much time with with, with Topsy? Yeah, so I played. He was playing basically all, all the way through my six years there. He, Mister Mister London Irish, and that's it. 
top try scorer. Top try scorer, top appearance record yeah. as well. And stuff. That's yeah. right. Cool customer, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, he was looking pretty fit when we seen him. You know, hey Ali. Sorry, Nah, he's a great bloke, and it was people like him, like you said, that made the club so special. Like they had a few guys like that, um, him, Pace that played for years. Um, Blair Cowan, obviously, that's involved in the Scottish stuff. He, he stayed there for a long time and he's loved it when he could have probably got offers from elsewhere and left. But it's, it is a good club and it's great to see them move to Brentford where hopefully they're going to get that fan base from, from London that they mm-hmm. a club. And it's like, even now, like when I first moved to Irish, they were like, next year we're going to move into London. I was like, oh, this is going to be great because we were playing our games out in Reading, which was miles away. And then it was like... Yeah. Five six years later, when I eventually leave, they moved to London. I was like, Bastard. <laughs> 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 oh, I loved it there. And even though, like, I went through, I was there six seasons, and I think I had six different head coaches because of the way it went with like relegations and guys getting the sack and whatnot. And even still, through all that and the relegations and stuff, there was years that we got relegated under like Nick Kennedy and stuff. I've never been in a changing room that's been like so good and so positive because everyone was doing their bit but we just didn't have the squad that like other teams had and there was no games coming off where you went like oh he's not trying hard enough or he's not doing that it was like everyone's doing a bit but we're just we can't compete with these teams sort of thing mm-hmm. different to what I was saying about the Scotland stuff and um, yeah it's the boys really that created that environment through like even though it was tough times and at times it was real dark when you're sort of struggling with relegation and they're coming in and saying if we go down that there's going to be people in the office losing jobs and stuff like that. These are stuff. It's just increased pressure, isn't it? Like we're, we're trying our best. It's not like we're going out there and saying, oh, let's keep these guys to lose their jobs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill, Bill and accounts walking by giving you the finger. Like, hey, guys. <laughs> giving you some training <laughs> advice. <laughs> um, no, like, like I said, it, it, is a, it is a really good club. Um, and the boys, when I was there, definitely sort of they were the reason that happened because so many changes with coaches and stuff like that. But regardless, it, it was it was a really good experience. No, so I think one of the things, obviously, um, that you you've suffered probably directly from was obviously the COVID situation, um, which has had a pretty catastrophic effect across most of um, most of the kind of rugby um, the rugby industry itself. Even like talking to like John Welsh and stuff, who he was impacted and stuff as well, but. I was reading a wee bit again, just doing some research on you, mate, and I realised that, like, um, at one point you were kind of a bit of a crossroads. I would say just about what was going to come next. I hope you don't mind me mentioning it's something I think is quite important. Um, was the fact that you put on quite a bit of weight while you were kind of in lockdown and stuff like that, and you were getting into maybe a wee bit of a a rut. Would that be fair to say? Um, it was more that I'd played the last four or five years of my career at Irish overweight. I was right bad, bad shape. I was sitting at about like 92, 94 kilos and I'm only five foot nine scrum off. She'd be the fittest guy on the pitch. And through them relegations and in and, and that tough time, I'd say I would just overindulge on food and going out drinking too much and sort of uh, just built up and sort of created a sort of reputation of, for a guy that's always going to be there for, for a good time. And uh-huh. And say yes to everything in terms of, right, do you want to go out for a few beers tonight? Or you want to go out for food tonight? Yep, yep, yep. All this kind of stuff. And just basically wasn't a good professional. Um, 
and managed to get by doing doing an alright job and always seemed to be starting for them regardless. So I thought, well, like I don't really need to change anything. I think yeah, yeah. in the pudding, whatever. But I'm starting a team that's struggling at the bottom of the Premiership or playing in the Championship. So my mindset then was like, well, I don't have to be that professional because I know that we're going to turn up every week and win because some of these teams are part-time and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was more that it took COVID for me to be like, like I found out like four days before the national lockdown that after a year of sort of conversations, which obviously until the contracts in front of you mean nothing, but I felt like they were indicating that they were wanting to keep me for another for another year or another couple of years. There was always like, oh, we'll, we'll sit down next month and we'll, we'll talk about next year and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, right, okay. And then, yeah, that conversation came where it looked like there's not, there's not enough room in the, in, the, in the budget this year and there's no contract there for you there. And I'm going, right, well, then lockdown happened and I was like, fuck, like, there's nothing, <laughs> nothing like, I couldn't even get a job anywhere. I couldn't do anything to sort of, like, sort of pass time or anything. And that's the worst thing in that situation. Like, you mm-hmm. just busy, you want to be concentrating on something. <clears throat> so I was moved out of my flat in London, moved back home with mum and dad in, in Dumfries and just sitting there watching my rent come out for a place in London I'm not even staying in and I'm going, well, I've only got three more pay packets left and then yeah. well, after yeah. that, it was it was bad, real bad and it was it was more, I thought, right, you've, if you actually, it was a self-reflection period, like, right, have a look at yourself, like, are you doing everything you can to be the best rugby player you can and I was going, absolutely not, like, I'll give it absolutely everything on a weekend, like, I'll put, everything into the game and, and all that kind of stuff but everything away from that like I wasn't really doing um was like go through weight sessions not really do everything that was meant to do and like I said on my diet and then enjoy going out too much um so I just sort of took myself sat myself down I was like right well this could go either way you could absolutely lose the plot come back home meet up on the weights back home Getting years every night of the week because I've got nothing else on. Like there's no structure to it. I could just lose the plot, get even fatter, um, and literally just like go off the rails. Or I could be like, right, I could get unbelievably fit, lose a bit of weight, and if a club does sign me, I'll be good to go. It won't take the usual four or five weeks in pre-season when I get a bollocking for turning up, being so fat that they're going, "What's happened to you? What have you done?" And I've went, oh, "I'll be fine. I'll, I'll get fit." And then crafting for for three or four weeks to catch up with everyone else, being chucked into fat club at training. <laughs> <laughs> fat club. Oh, well, thank God I became <clears> a <throat> professional rugby player. Yeah. <laughs> get their skin folds done and they're too high up, and they've come back, or you come back at a ridiculous weight um, that you're meant to be. You, you'll be in first thing in the morning, doing extra fitness before the guys have came in for a massive day of preseason. It's just a horrible place to be in. Um, so I thought, right, so I ended up, so when, when lockdown actually started, it was probably around about like 80, 8 to 90 kgs. And then by the time it finished, I got down to like 79, 80 and was in the shape oh, wow. of um, Managed to borrow a few weights from Dumfries Rugby Club and we basically just do weights in my garden and then go running, just like end myself running wise, like three, four times a week. And that was another way for me to take my mind off the situation of what you're going to do if nothing comes up. Um, like, I'm not just going to, I was like contemplating, like texting mates, being like, you got any work long term? I mean, not just like over the next 
couple of weeks, like long term, rugby doesn't work, and I come and work on your farm and stuff like that. And it was like scary, real scary. But thanks to like my parents and my brothers and a few of my mates, they they were real supportive. Where they could have easily said, "Oh, like sack it off, just come come with us and we'll go for booze or whatever." Mm. Um, but like I just basically made a training week and, and just smashed it like a lot of guys have and, and even guys that were in contract and stuff like that went away and, and really worked on their fitness and stuff. Um, I'm not trying to make out like I was the only person that was working hard. But it was more yeah. it was the first time in my career that I actually was doing everything that I should have been doing and going that extra mile. And then it was just constant phone calls with my agent, anything happening, anything happening. He's for months going, nah, teams don't even know when they're starting playing again. So why would they sign anyone? Like clubs aren't going to know how much money they're going to lose from this, so they don't know the budgets. Teams are basically going to have to just make do with what they've got. They can't sign anyone else in here and all that sort of stuff, even though it was brutal. It was the truth, and I was like, right, well, just praying that something came up. And when that phone call came and said, like, I had a few chats with a few teams, and it was all very much like pretty vague. It wasn't like, yes, we need a nine and we want you. It was like, oh, we might need a nine we're not sure who we're going with or whatever. And that's almost worse to hear because you're like, it gives you that glimmer of hope. But mm. it's yeah, yeah. So when Quinn's got in touch with my agent and, and spoke to him and it was just, yeah, we need a nine, our third choice nine. Um, he was a young guy, just decided he, he wanted to go travelling and didn't want to do rugby anymore. He was fed up of not playing, uh, being third choice, um, similar to, to like I was at, as at Leicester. And he, he just thought, like I don't don't really don't fancy this anymore and think like he knew that um he could go off and do other stuff. He was from like a decent background as well, so it wasn't like he was he was desperate on it. He didn't love it enough to just keep doing it. Um and then that was that opportunity for me and it was like a like massive pay cut for me to go on. But after everything I'd been through, like I couldn't have signed it quick enough. I just did it. I was like, I don't care what it's on. And then I signed well, I went to sign it and they're like oh, you've also got to agree to the 25% pay cut that everyone's on. And I was like, you're actually cutting that. I was like, I was like, it's basically an academy deal. Now you're cutting me even more. So I had to go back and be like, right, well, if I live here in London, like what's my rent going to be? And basically, yeah. The first, yeah, yeah. first time in a long time, I actually properly had to like budget out what I was going to do and, and how I was going to make it work or even if it could work. And if it wasn't for like the match fees and stuff like that, that I got, so they were quite, good match fees and you got a win bonus as well and I was like right well if I start this amount of games or if I'm on the bench here or there or we win that's like I'll, I'll basically that'll get by I can have a bit of money at the end of the month to sort of put away in savings but if not like it'll be the bare minimum it'll just be rent just everything else so like I said first time in a long time obviously taking that for granted in the past it was like right and then went there just worked, worked hard again and coaches backed me and I managed to play quite a lot and then getting called up to the Scotland stuff was just like mad just like yeah happened I was like it was just yeah it was just a like, massive couple of months and I'm sort of in a way it was like obviously it was the, the hardest time in my life that I've been through um, but at the same time I needed it it was just mm -hmm. the kick up the arse that I needed to sort of be like you've got an opportunity here that loads and loads of people would would give anything for and, and you're just sort of pissing it away and 
it just basically made me made me realise that and turn it around. And from now on, it's just that constant reminder. Well, like look what you did before. Like come on, mate. Like rein it in. Do this. Do that. Make sure that you're doing everything you can. And it's definitely definitely like well, obviously like with with what's happened since, it's it's been a massive benefit to me. That's a massive testament to you though for having the, the discipline to do that. Like, yeah, absolutely. yeah. Like, cause I think I think it's probably fair to say that we're all struggling with like trying to shift weight and stuff like that. And I think like the whole mental aspect of not like your your circumstances must have been really hard to see. Like as you said, you had that opportunity to just say, "Oh fuck it!" Like I'm just going to just enjoy myself and worry about the rest later on. But it must have taken a lot of moral fibre just to say, "Well, no, this is my chance to." Fucking get it down. It's the easy option to just go fuck it or yeah. jack it in. Yeah, you say that, but basically, I hadn't went from being a real strict professional going into the COVID thing and being like, this is the first time I'm not on a contract or whatever. And then that would be like going off the rails in terms of being real strict on it, everything, and then be like, oh, nothing's happening. I might as well go off the rails. I was just constantly living a not professional lifestyle whilst playing and because I said I was managed to to get picked in, in a struggling team and get by. Even to recognise that though as well, the <laughs> fact that you're saying that you like you were still get you were still playing every week. You know, yeah. so at that point you say, well, this should be enough, you know, if I'm able to do that. But the fact that you're saying, well no, I want I want more. Well yeah. I want to be better. I want to improve myself. That's that's that's, that's, that's the that's the same that's the you've hit the nail on the head there. It was the realisation of me sitting back and going you're not really doing what you should be here like you just having too much a good time pissing around basically and I sort of looked at the, the Scotland team and there's a lot of guys my sort of age groups that I played with going up with and playing and competing with like Ali Price for example like at the 20s World Cup and stuff like I I started like I think it was five games I played I stuck four of them and then he started one and then watching him go to Glasgow and sort of kicking on and doing all these really good things and I was just sort of stuck in this constant rut of oh like sort of thinking like oh I'm better than him like blah 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 but I wasn't doing anywhere near the work or doing doing what I needed to um I was just sitting there sort of thinking oh I'm playing in England so that's probably not why I'm getting a mix compared to them which was absolute nonsense (laughs) 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 so further off it um and that's like when we played against England in that game in the Six Nations, it was a real like emotional after it. I was literally like basically like welling up the tears and I was just sitting there by myself and boys like, all right. And I was like, two years ago, I was sat up like right at Rose Ed at Twickenham watching that game with a couple of mates from London Irish. And I was just sitting there watching that game that was 38 all or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That I'd played with there and it was just, sitting there, being out on the piss the Friday and then all day on the Saturday. And then was just sitting there watching these lads being like, you're so far off that. Like, you can mm-hmm. be way further away from that whatsoever. Um, and I was like, but at one, at, one, at one stage, I was close to that. And then even after that, it didn't really, like, change my outlook. I was just sitting there going, ah, well, that's probably that done. Like, I'll just play, like, club sort of, like, premiership or whatever and just sort of, float through my career that way and then to actually end up getting at the squad and playing against England and winning that game just being like like you were miles away from there you wouldn't have dreamed of this happening and now I'm actually on that pitch doing what I was watching them lads doing while I was like 
five mm-hmm. miles away from it, drinking pints all the time and smashing pizza whilst these lads are like pulling back this game against England. I was just sitting there like, if someone had told me that would happen, I'd tell you like, right, fuck off, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It's, it's an absolute testament to you know, that that is. It's, it's a phenomenal story, um, and I said that a lot of people would take inspiration from that to think that you know they're, they're down, they're, they're kicked, uh, and it's to, to know that you can turn around and, and not even just turn it around, to turn it around and get to the highest point. Um, no, all credit. Yeah, to me. Uh, gone from no contract to winning with Scotland at Twickenham exactly. in the space of what, like eight months or something. Like that stuff. Like, I was like growing up as a kid and stuff. Like you're like imagining winning away against just against England, but to be away from home as well was, was something that obviously you always you always dream of. It's like a young Scotsman or whatever, and to actually yeah. see after everything that happened and basically playing at London Irish, being like had a few like the odd season, I would get a phone call from Townsend being like, oh, you're in the mix for selection. And then it would always end up getting the phone call back to say, oh, we've went with someone else, unlucky or whatever. Um, but in my head, after that that phone call had stopped coming for a few years, I was like, right, well, that's that probably done. Like I'm mm. 27 or whatever, like probably, probably not going to get the call up and I'm not probably playing where I need to be, but I'm fine with that. I'll just crack on and, and play club, club rugby. But then actually getting in, in shape that I should have been in and, and actually playing a game of rugby where I'm not just thinking, right, I hope my team knocks the ball on because I'm blowing out my arse. That's a game has been pounding the Strava. Yeah. So, you know, he, he, yeah, he's got a Scotland call-up in your future. I can see that. <laughs> I, I, can, I can see this getting picked up by Netflix, by the way. <laughs> you know, this, like, Scott Steele, all or nothing. <laughs> Yeah, who's, who's going to play us when they do the podcast episode? <laughs> uh, uh, us, probably. But I know it does. It, it, it could. It sounds like a movie, you know. It sounds, sounds like the guy that's just bouncing about, and you know, Tom Hardy. Yeah, he maybe. So, oh, Ali, <laughs> set I'm, just, I'm just picturing everything, you know. I don't go off the rails again. And that, that, I said, well, don't come up to Paisley and hang about with us because you're three of the fucking set. You'll be playing White Craig's twos before you know it. Yeah, it's mad. And the amount of people that have sort of, like I said before, like reached out and, and spoke to me about that sort of stuff and, and said that, like, it's. They've took a lot away from it. That's that obviously <clears> a lot, but like I said before, like just my mum and my dad, like they're like massive rugby fans, so they like know the ins and outs of it all, and they were great just at making sure that I was all right, checking in on me, and and also just not asking me every day, like, oh, is your agent phoned, or is this or that happened, and just managed to distract me from it at a hard time as it was being cooped up, basically um, louder. <laughs> Yeah, you're allowed out once a day to exercise or whatever. Yeah, yeah. A lot of time with each other. Um, they, they were they were absolutely fantastic, and um, it's just been great for for them to see how happy they are that I've, I've managed to go on and, and do what I've done with, with Scotland and then and then Quinn. So um, I'm just buzzing to hopefully get back playing and then they'll yeah, be able yeah. to and watch for the for the first time in ages because they, they've not been able to actually witness any of it. So. Yeah, that'll be class. Yeah. Be. That'll be really good. Fans are backing, obviously, this weekend for 
Ross at Quinn's and hopefully I get back fit and Buzzing. play before the end of the year and that would be unreal. Yeah, it'd be class. Buzzing. Oh. Before I start crying and you know following the <laughs> camp, uh, we'll, we'll finish, we've got one one final question for you. So your nickname is the Crow. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, where did this this come from? This has come from I don't actually know, but one of my mates that plays at London Irish was just like, you know, you can change people's like names on Wikipedia, and you. Can- <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> I went on to my He was like, Go and check you and see if anyone's changed it. I was like, uh, <laughs> on. And My name was Scott Shirley Steele. And I was like, <laughs> And then I was on a podcast with a couple of guys, like fans, do a fans podcast at Quinn's. And they right. said, Oh, talk us through this nickname, The Crow. And I was like, What are you on about? They're like, oh, <laughs> I have no idea why that's there or who. <laughs> but they've done a great job because you'd be like, you could just put something stupid, but they've actually put something that people be like, oh, I wonder what that, what's on. It's really intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was, I was, I dived into some research there, and I was like, where has this fucking come from? But <laughs> so I was like, yeah, we're just gonna have to to get it out. Yeah. But no, I wish there was some sort of interesting story that. Someone or people would call me the crow, but well, as you as you said, you can change Wikipedia, so we could give you a really cool story if you want. <laughs> I'm sure we could come we up with something. Come up with a backstory for the crow. Really? I don't know how easy that would be to make that cool. Give us another two beers, and I guarantee <laughs> we'll, we'll have that sorted. Uh, really funny uh, now, and then later on we look back and be like, "That's not <laughs> yeah." <laughs> we won't look back. You'll look back and go, "What the fuck have those guys done?" Like, <laughs> Oh yeah. Right, is it is it time to give uh, Scott a break from answering questions and get into the heroes and zeros of the week? Yeah, so you can Um, take a a, a seat back and you can be the judge, mate. Judge what what kind of nonsense we come up with here. Um, What would you like us to go with first? Actually, heroes or zeros? Start with the zeros. Yeah, that's most people pick that finish on finish on something positive uh-huh. uh, so Mr Alistair McLeod Skywalker yeah lead us off so my <coughs> see, he's not really a, a baddie but uh, I've decided to, to go with uh, with Floyd Mayweather uh, as my zero for, for this week so he is fighting um, is it I think it's one of those Paul. Lo- Lo- I, Lo- I think it's Logan Paul. He's fighting. Um, so when he, kind of going back when he fought Conor McGregor, I was like, it's just a pantomime of you know boxing and stuff. But then I found out that he got paid a hundred million dollars for doing it. I was like, right, I can see why you've done it. Uh, you know that that's a hundred million reasons why uh, you go and fight <laughs> someone like that. And he gave him a spanking as well. So, but I was like, he's got such a distinguished boxing career um probably one of the best pound for pound boxers that there's ever lived you know he's in boxing hall of fame and in his retirement instead of having the class of the type of box they should be he's getting drawn into like a youtube boxing match um and i'm just like for someone you'll know as a professional um that you know, it, it's a, a, a sacred career. You know, it's a, you know it's something to be proud of, and I think he's just tarnishing his reputation by these YouTube events and stuff like that. So I just, 
you know, you'd never catch Muhammad Ali doing a, a YouTube boxing thing, you know, and he would he could be in that that category of you know like the these kind of great boxers and stuff like that. So I just think that yeah, he said he's not a bad guy, and he's probably going to make another fifty million out of it. But yeah, did you see the press conference where he stole the, the Paul brother stole a hat off him and he's chasing him around the toss? Honestly, <laughs> it's just such a pantomime again. Um, <laughs> and I just like it's not like the type of guy that probably needs money as well. No, um, and I'm just like it's been over fifty million. It's not like he's desperate on that money and he's yeah taking the ball. Like you see fighters at the end of the career, they're taking fights that basically. Yeah. They're just doing it for that money, that payout. But like, yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, he's he's my zero for for this week. So go on. Right, I'll uh, I'm gonna go even I'm gonna go even more random than that. Um, this is just this isn't something that happened recently at all. Uh, it's just oh, something right. I so saw. You going through history is a Hitler by any chance? <laughs> Fuck's sake! It's, it's even further back than that. This is something that I, I follow one of these like uh, Scottish tourist pages on Instagram, and it pops up with all these places to visit, and one of them was Stirling Castle, and it's always got a wee historical story to it. And uh, it was about King Edward the First in thirteen o four. <laughs> yeah, this is supposed to be like current bullshit. I know it's supposed to be current affair, but I read it currently, so it's it's in. Uh, so basically, there was like the last stand of Scottish soldiers at Stirling Castle. There's only about forty of them, and the English started building this thing that they called the War Roof, and it could fire. Basically, back in the day, it was quite the thing. It could fire like 140 kilo rocks or like fiery rocks uh, over 200 yards. <laughs> But apparently it took them like a couple of months to build. So while they were building it, the Scottish soldiers saw what was getting built and were like, nah, we're good, we'll stop, we'll surrender. King Edward kept the castle surrounded and refused to let them leave until he got a chance to use it on them. Just to be an absolute bastard. So he's my zero of the week, retrospectively. I'm sure he's turning in his grave right now. <laughs> Right, Mitty, that now you, you you've you've got somewhere to go here, mate. So right, so my my zero of the week. I'm gonna go back even further. It's fucking Satan, the devil, He's the, the root snake. of all evil. No, mine's actually a, current. It happened this week, right? And it's going to be short and sweet. It's a guy called Gurav Sharma, who is an Indian YouTuber. But he get he, he old Peter were going fucking Toronto at him because he tied helium balloons to his dog to make it float to record a video. And luckily, someone in a balcony and another building caught the dog. So this guy, this YouTuber, he's my zero. There yeah, you go. For Done. So you're not, you're not, you're not really got much to pick from there, my friend Scott. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not our best efforts, but you're in charge. That's tough. He's throwing a spanner in the works there. So if I don't go with his one about the dog, then everyone's like, "Well, you don't care about animals, do you?" <laughs> no, don't buy, don't buy into it though. Don't buy into it. You know, be your own Tomorrow's person. headline: Scott Steele hates dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On Wikipedia. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to hopefully say that that was a mistake. They didn't mean it to go that far. So I'm going to go with it. The Floyd Mayweather, like you said, such a. Would it change your mind if I told you that he did? No, it won't. It? No, it won't. <laughs> No, it won't change his mind. It's okay. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate that, mate. Yeah. I right, win for Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, right, let's jump on to the heroes then. Uh, <coughs> Mini, a shot of redemption. Go for it. Okay. So bear with me in this one. Um, so it's actually two. It's a, it's a joint effort for my, my hero of the week. But to set the scene, in Nova Scotia, there's a guy called Alvaro Wiggins. 
who he worked for two charities for uh, deprived children, right? So he dedicated his life to helping the, these people out. But he ended up suffering kidney failure. Um, so he's got a wife and three kids. He ended up having to lose his house because of the medical bills and he was staying in a hostel. But this woman called Sarah McLaren set up a GoFundMe to try and raise some money to try and get him into some accommodation and all the rest of it. But they were never making enough money. But it turned out this woman called Betty McKenzie stepped in, who was a real estate guru in the area. She doubled all the money that they'd made to try and get him a house, but it still wasn't enough to get him what they wanted. So she was bringing a house to market. The fund put a bid in that was like maybe 200 grand less than the asking price. And she accepted it and gave the guy a home for him and his family. So well, Sarah McLaren and Betty McKenzie are my heroes of the week. It sounds like a lot of heroes there. Yeah. There's two of them. Excellent. So there you go. But to fair, it sounds like the fund raised a lot of money and he was just being picky over his house. I know. It's like that. I want one with a pool. Yeah. <laughs> you see what he's doing here, Scott? You see what they're doing? I, I need a deck. A deck <laughs> with a view. I'm feeling threatened here. <laughs> uh, hey, right, Ali, on you go, mate. Um, well, after hearing uh, Scott Steele's uh, stories, I might just nominate him. But uh, <laughs> so, okay, no, <laughs> He's not I was only joking. That shit, I, was, I was only joking. I was only joking. So, well, I actually, I had two, uh, and I was wanting to. I was hoping to go third, so then I was going to pick who, who it was on. Uh, but so I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, and he's been nominated before on this podcast, but it's Marcus Rashford again. Um, the third time you've used it. No, I've never used it. Many's used it twice, <laughs> so, and he's never won. But anyway, it, uh, so but the the article was was uh, I think it was today or yesterday actually. Um, he has now donated um, more his own personal money. I think it's two million pounds that he donated, and it took him to a total with all his his um, contributions. It took him up to twenty million pounds in donations and he said his estimated Bloody worth were, was was 16 million uh was his estimated worth but the what he's actually raised is 20 million pounds for for children and uh, i think there was through the lockdown with the um school meals and stuff like that and i just thought for such a young guy uh he's done such an incredible job with, with charity um and he, he's, he's relentless with it as well like he challenged the government he like went straight to boris johnson um during the lockdown about the food and everything and he's continuing to he's got his obe i think it is as well and he just keeps on driving forward with it and he's, he's, he's contributed two million uh, pounds of his own money um so i just thought that's a good lad he's yeah. a he's, he's my guy Okay, okay. Um, so mine is um, Jaden Smith. Um, he's launching a restaurant that's on a pay-as-you-can basis. So basically the aim of it is to provide free food for homeless people. And it's launched in LA, I believe. Um, so homeless people don't have to pay when they're in eating. And normal punters like us would pay just that little bit extra to kind of subsidise so that they can provide the free meals for the homeless. Um, so it's basically starting up as a kind of social enterprise and then aiming to branch it out across the states. Um, I thought like for a guy like him, Will Smith's kid, he's probably God knows how much money doesn't need to do these kind of things, but is actually putting himself out there and uh, putting, making a pretty worthwhile cause for it. Wow, that's... I like that one. So there you go, the, he the heroes, now you've got a choice. Yeah. Very simple, not very similar, but similar in terms of Marcus Rashford and that one there. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with uh, 
one with the, the kidney failure story. I think it's just a real heartwarming story. Well, it's a very heartwarming story. And I'm glad you didn't buy into Skywalker's bullshit because there's, there should be a rule that you're not allowed to use other people's fucking heroes from previous weeks. That's something that you're in a yellow card, man. That's bollocks. <laughs> What, anyway, did, what we, did you just say to me? We, we did you say did this bit gets a little a bit yellow... competitive. <laughs> did you just put me on a yellow card? Just on a yellow card, card mate. Where do you live? I'm coming in. Shit if I didn't pick him as well, so I just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's good. Okay, right, so heroes you. and zeros done now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back um, back to you. So this is off, round us off, mate. So back to you. Focus on you again, mate. So this, this is where we dive get, in. Dive get the spotlight the... on. Yeah, we need to. What's what's on your you know, what's on your mind? What's the first thought that comes to you? I'm terrible at quick fire, by the way, because... <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll Boris. be fine. We're not, we're not going to be asking you, like, what fucking king made a, the wolf beat or wolf. <laughs> I'd probably get that one now, though. <laughs> I still wouldn't get it. Right, okay. Are we ready to rock? Go. Right. Right, so, favourite holiday destination? Um, Marbella. Marbella. Who would your celebrity woman crush be? Uh, I would say Rita Ora. Okay. Similarly, who would your man crush be? Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Who is your favourite superhero? Can't really into that, but Batman, growing up, I love Batman, so stick with him. What is one thing that you're really bad at? Um, I'm bad at a lot of things. I'm not thinking it's an unbroken at everything. <laughs> I'm driving. I only passed my, t- my test when I was 25 and I was driving in London today, getting back from Chelsea. Absolute nightmare. And yeah, I'm shocking. <laughs> Just park it in the middle of the street. Uh, that'll do. <laughs> Who is the most famous person you've met? My old flatmate was really good mates with Niall Horan from One Direction. So oh, why? Okay. Been a few gigs that he's done, and that's that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. A nice new name drop that. Do you um, know if he'd want to come on the podcast? So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a big N-O. <laughs> um, what is your biggest fear or phobia? Um, I'm quite fearful of. Not, not knowing what I want to do after rugby when I retire. So not the idea of finishing rugby, obviously that's... So what it. comes next? It's it's more not not knowing or not having a passion that I think, right, I want to do that um, and ending up in a job that I'm, I'm just doing because it's the sort of job that came available. So finding, finding yeah. what, what I work towards after after rugby um, is something that, yeah, I would, I would think about quite a lot. So we're a bit sure. deeper than the usual yeah. fucking vampires, so... So you're a bit deeper, man. Um, right. Like that, just excuse me. So, next one. Um, dinner party and you've allowed three guests that can be any person from any point in history. Who would you want to sit down and have a laugh with? Uh, Ricky Gervais. Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Um, one more. I was just going to say we are again because <laughs> and get a date. candy for the table. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. 
And if you had a boat, what would you name your boat? Um, I was going to say something there, but I'll have to explain the story, and I'm not doing that. Oh, <laughs> oh why? Uh, we've got we've got the time if you've got the time <laughs> too long a story yeah. you, can, you can be on the back bar podcast midnight special they usually usually give a name like it's a female name to boat isn't it is mm -hmm. that how it works whatever you want me to boat it's your boat <laughs> yeah. yeah um i'll just call it the crow Oh, the yes. Crow. yes. The That's crow. a good one. I have a story to actually justify why it's there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you called the crow? It's my boat, mate. <laughs> <laughs> my boat, mate. Okay, cool. Well, I think that is us done and dusted. Excellent. Well done. Nice. Did, nice. He, did he pass? Yeah, Passed flying colours. Yeah, there we go. Flying colours. Another 10 out of 10 in the speed round. Yeah, Matthew McConaughey is a good show for Man Crush. Yeah. That's a good one, actually. A debut. Green, his green lights book, his audio book. Listen to that not that long ago, and it's class. Is it worth mm -hmm. a worth a look, eh? Hundred percent. Like I found it so just the way the way he looks at life, but he reads it in his voice as well, which makes it obviously mm -hmm. better as well. Um, the guy can just tell a great story, and it's yeah, certainly can. Yeah, cause I listened to him on that. Um, is it the High Performance Podcast? I think yeah. Jake Humphrey does. He was brilliant on that. Actually, He's a really cool guy. His book quite a lot, and um, no, like you, said, like you could be talking about anything and just makes you interested in it straight away. And that's that. Yeah, he's pretty. I've, cool. got, I've got his book sitting, sitting in here. Uh, I think it's what I'm going on to next as well. So, no spoilers, please. It's stuck into its class. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, one last question before we wrap up. We've um, we've started doing a. <clears throat> Building up a back bar podcast playlist. Um, so we're asking each of our guests to, to kind of nominate their favourite song to get added to the playlist. So uh, what what would be your what would be your addition to it then? Sort of playlist are you looking to put together? Are you whatever you listen, we've had we've had a few different it's your boat, it's your song. Here, so yeah. um, whatever song gets you going, mate. Let me have a look at my Spotify because <laughs> <laughs> Could be a song that you just like to chill out to, one that gets you pumped up for a game, uh, whatever. Getting pumped up before a game, uh, even to set you set the scene for a wee bit of disco dancing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to calm down a bit because <laughs> I head out of rocks and actually start doing some passing for once. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, just went right there. Save tonight. Oh, Eagle Eye oh, Jerry. Yeah. Watching, man. That's um, good. I've loved that song and I've done it for quite a lot of my, my debut songs at, at past clubs and stuff like that. So that's my. That's a belter. Yeah, so I'd go for that. Nice one. Nice one. Magic. Okay, I think that is, uh, that is us done. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a really good chat. That's been re really interesting. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Really good. No, thank you so much. Really it, was, uh, it was great, great to hear. And thanks for your honesty as well. Like, can yeah, I yeah. Uh, talking about all that kind of stuff? So no, it's um, really inspirational. Yeah, brilliant chat. Best of luck with Quinns, mate, and yeah, see more of you in the Scotland jersey over the, the next wee while as well, mate. Hopefully, be able to be in the stadium watching you in the autumn games as well. Yeah, awesome. fingers crossed. 
hopefully I get to, to play nine as well. Which will be nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll be there cheering you on, mate. We'll be yeah. there, I definitely. Just uh, keep an eye on your Wikipedia over the next few days. <laughs> <laughs> he is best friends with Ali McLeod. <laughs> Him and Rudy Jackson together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the backstory of the Bath, the Bath yeah. Google search, by the way. <laughs> Okay, Scott, it'd be really good yeah. having you on, mate. Thanks, right. Scott. Take it easy and good Take luck care, for the rest of the season. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Bye-bye. Another good lad. Yeah, he's a really yeah. good lad, eh? Oh, yeah. yeah. Pretty impressed Pretty with honest. how much he actually opened up on the whole... The story thing, actually. Oh, really the fact cool. that he was yeah. like fucking nearly done, nearly gubbed. Yeah. Well, that, yeah imagine that, sitting there, you've got no career, you're fucking... You're, you're just... I don't know. Have the balls just to leave your, your flat sitting there and just uh, going like that. Fuck it. Go back home and, and just. Sounds like it could, it could make a Rocky montage out of that it, training back in Dumfries, couldn't it? Because I'd read something on that rugby pass about it, about uh, him going home and stuff, and I thought, fuck it. I was like, we, we never really ask any serious mm-hmm. stuff. Serious ones. I was like, fuck it. Let's just see. Like, if you've already yeah. said to one person, let's see if you'll give us it. And luckily, fucking. I yeah, no, it's brilliant, it, man. So, aye, that was really good. A lot of nice credit to him for uh, opening up like that. I know that was that was really good. That was, that was good fun. Okay, you get so... your first wee, your wee winning zero in the Heroes Alley. <sighs> Son of a nutcracker! I, I oh. drew a blank this week. I'm yeah. winning then. I've won. That's... I'm four. I've won four. You're in three, and you're in one. Get it right up. You season two. Uh, you're doing I was, I, I was going to pick, uh, well, I had another uh, hero for the, for the day, uh, but I actually read the story about Market Franchford this morning, uh, and I was like, no, nah, he's he's going back in, and I knew I was going to get stick for it, but my, my other hero wasn't, uh, is it, I knew you'd come up with some crybaby story about someone fucking dying <laughs> or whatever it was, so uh, congratulations on cheating again. Uh, so try and get hey, come up with something hey. funny next time. Who is that cheating? It's That's... fucking Miles cheating. There's two people no, for the no, start. No. I'm, I'm just more people. So, so, I'm it's not someone NHS. that you know. I'm picking the NHS next week. Oh. I'm telling you now. Look at who's the strawberry McStrawberry. Right. <laughs> before before you two start virtually battering each other, we should probably just uh, call a halt to proceedings for the evening. I'm not we? finished. <laughs> <laughs> play play the outro. I'm yeah, no yeah. done. <laughs> Another thing. I'm, I'm done. Play the outro. Oh, brilliant. Right. <laughs> this podcast is done. This is done. <laughs> I get me one of those catapult things. You're getting, it's getting flung from my house to your house. Bring out the war wolf. <laughs> Fucking war wolf. That Italian restaurant halfway down. Fuel. <laughs> right. You've got to go uphill. Jewel. There's no fucking way you're coming uphill. <laughs> uh, Amanda's giving me a lift up. <laughs> I'm in the car. Oh, like, coming at you with crazy fists. Jack and Boo. Oh, dear. Okay. Right. Anyway. Okay. That's yep. been another cracking episode at the back bar. Uh, thanks everyone to listening to all that nonsense. And uh, we will catch you again next time. Peace. Thank See you, you very much. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.